0: So, well, this opportunity this morning to reflect on the way it is. Uh, yesterday was uh, St. Valentine's Day. And what is that right now? What, what is St. Valentine's Day right now? This way of noticing the way it is. Because, you know, you can say, well that was yesterday and today is not St. Valentine's Day. You can logically kind of think it out. But that's not the point of this exercise. So St. Valentine Valentine's Day is right now, at this moment, is a memory, isn't that? It? It's a perception, it's a thought that arises and ceases when the, conditions, when the conditions allow it. So yesterday, the 14th of February is the, the agreed date for this particular perception, in the Western world anyway. Thailand, they also, they've got very fond of St. Valentine's Day. Hearts and love and all pink hearts and sweets. (laughs) It's all very sweet and nice. So that is, uh, but now you know, conditions are different. This is not Saint Valentine's Day. Now this is just observing how this affects the mind, because none of us probably care about, care that much about Saint Valentine's Day, but but the uh, it's using it's the common ordinary thought, perception. And noticing that, that, uh, you know, the the conditions now are not saying this is St. Valentine's Day, yesterday was. So knowing this, and just seeing how, how they're just, you know, investigating just the ordinariness of our thinking process, Because we do, we tend not to notice things very much. We just kind of react to conditions as they happen to us. So yesterday, this is St. Valentine, this is Valentine. Who was St. Valentine? And suddenly we take an interest. I found out he was a Roman soldier (laughs) that was martyred because he refused to give up uh, his Christian belief, and before he died, he sent a, a little Valentine to his girlfriend or something <laughs> or a letter. So the conventional world is is like that. It it has names and forms. It it, uh, is about time, past, present, future, good and bad, right and wrong. And so this is, the world is is a dualistic process. When you talk about dualism, you know, like, what do we mean by that? And of course, thinking itself is dualistic. And just what? Observe the, the thinking process. So, just a thought itself has its, has its opposite. It, it, it always brings up its opposite. So, it's good and then bad, bad or good, right or wrong. And and the thinking process then is it tends to it's a, it divides things, it separates me, you, and heaven, hell. Now noticing this, this uh, just the watching one's own thinking, listening to to one'self thinking for example <clears throat> you see how that that the self is a very separative experience because the the self in this sense the atta is is a thought of me as a separate person me a personality me an identity with the body or with the convention or whatever and that separates its nature's to define so define this form as a separate form, separate person, a gender, a religion, an ethnic identity, race. All this is these are this is due to the thinking process, isn't it? So therefore, just by thinking about Buddhism or having views and opinions about Buddhism or about Dhamma or even about oneness, even the the concept of oneness is divisive. We have ideals like we're all one. But that in itself is is a kind of division because it's a thought. It's an ideal. Oneness as an ideal, then we, we try to think about it. What does that mean? And the more you try to think about oneness, the more confused you get. Or when you try to think about anatta or nirvana or sunyata or the unconditioned, It ends up being dualistic, doesn't it? So there's Atta and Anatta, self and non-self, and there's there's Dhamma and non-Dhamma, and and uh, whatever, <laughs> There's oneness and separateness, and so we we can attach to these ideals like a Oneness of love is all of of uh, unity and universal harmony. These are these are ideals. So then, the, the direct approach of meditation, mindfulness is. We're observing this, the thinking process. What is it that observes thinking? Is not a thought, is it? Mindfulness isn't a thought. The word itself can can be quite confusing. The English word mindfulness. Mindful of what? Well, what is the mind in mindlessness? Or <laughs> Awareness, what do you mean? Awareness, mindfulness, the same thing or are they separate? Should, when you talk about awareness and then you talk about mind are they the same thing? Or do you mean something different? Is awareness slightly different from mindfulness? What is the subtle difference between awareness and mindfulness? And we try want to get a precise uh, use of, of our words, you know. figure it out like that and, and one, uh, what is the exact perfect English translation of dukkha, the Pali word dukkha and there's some Pali scholars they love to argue these points they'll come up with their own perfect definition we end up going back to suffering <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to be that precise with the words, you know. Words are, you know, they're very limited conditions that are created by us, by human beings. So when when I talk about awareness and mindfulness, these are the English words for sati. Sapachanya I use apperception. Gosh. That's not a common word. Usually it's clear comprehension. That's what the usual definition for Sampachanya, clear comprehension. Clear comprehension of what? You know, what does that mean? And uh, mindfulness. Trying to figure it all out. And, And so that on that level is, It's not liberating, I guarantee it. That's not the path. So the words, the conventions, the structures, their expedient means. How to use the structures, the conventions, not to make everything more complicated and difficult, because... We're already complicated and difficult. Just being a personality, uh, the Sakya Ditti, Silabata Bahamasa, Ichikicha fetters, you know, that's really complicated. All my identities, my likes, my dislikes, my past, my uh, views and opinions, preferences, prejudices, habits, So, where in meditation, it's 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 returning to simplicity or being simple. So, what is more simple than than mindfulness? Because it's here and now. You don't create it not thinking, or thought is a bit, is complicated. So then, the conventions, if they're, you know, if, if you're using the conventions of a religion, then it's pointing at this, at simplicity, not at complexity. If a, if a religious convention Creates more complexities, and it's either, you know, a, a not a religion at all, or you're using it wrongly. So, say, religion, how I use that word is a uh, as conventional, as a, some kind of form that you use for realizing ultimate truth. It's a, it's a pointer, it's a like a pointer at something, points at ultimate truth. But it's not in itself ultimately true. So then, the you know the uh, the problems with the fetters is that they're they're complicated and they, they and we we get lost in the sense of our personalities and our and the conventional world. That's all we we just get completely kind of immersed in the complicated world of conventions of conditioning. And so the dukkha is the uh, suffering then the first noble truth is being lost in this in this uh, in all these conditions It's very confusing and very unsatisfying because the conditions are you know they're so impermanent and uh, they the best they can do is offer some kind of temporary happiness. So that, say then the, the, Buddha, the Buddha, the awakened consciousness, is the, this is a convention also, the word Buddha is a convention And then one can look at Buddha uh, in terms of some kind of, we create some kind of abstract idea about Buddha, Buddha nature, Buddha force, Buddha energy in the universe, or whatever. But because it, it's, we're so conditioned to complicate and and uh, make things more than what they are. So then, say in the Thai forest tradition, the emphasis on Puto is like, the one who knows, the knowing, the Buddha knowing. And it's not a belief. I'm not asking you to believe this. As some kind of Buddhist doctrine, what it's an expedient means. Puto is a knowing now, knowing this. The memory of Valentine's Day is like this. So, you know, try to sustain the memory of Valentine's Day, see how good you, how long, you know, you can sustain it. You have to keep thinking it because it keeps fading out, at least on my I'm doing it right now. I'm thinking Valentine's Day. Of course it isn't highly emotionally charged for me, so you know, it doesn't there's nothing kind of gripping me on the emotional level. But this is by doing this and exploring, you know, starting with things that are rather neutral and you know, not particularly emotionally threatening to you. Just seeing how that that we can assume that you know never really seen the nature of of sanya sankara. We we are uh, you know <clears throat> actually meditating all the time with views and opinions and sanya sankaras. About Buddhism, or about our practice, or about ourselves, or about our ability or lack of ability. <coughs> now, even even monks and nuns can practice with using this Buddhist uh, convention as a as a as a way of of uh, complicating ourselves our lives reinforcing the self view. I am a bhikkhu. I am a Buddhist monk. And the the identity with these perceptions, isn't it? To, you know, on the self level, if I if I cling to this perception, Then it gets more and more isolating as it gets senior. I'm the most senior, and then on the ego level, do you think because uh, I'm m- most senior, then I'm, you know, I'm th- the logic that comes from being most senior, and <laughs> things like that. And <laughs> see, it's the whole. The whole structure, logic, and reason is being the most see, no being mostly you know. There's then we get into our you know like there's stories in Zen Buddhism where the the cook in the kitchen is enlightened master and the and the most senior monk is the deluded one. We like things like that too. You kind of knock down the the arrogant, pompous authority figure with a nice, humble, you know, somebody, a little dishwasher or toilet cleaner. So then ask yourself, because there is no self, but inquiring, (laughs) what is Valentine's Day now? And don't try to figure it out, just observe you know it's a something like that, or what is where is my mother now right now at this moment? And I, well, my mother, if she's alive, you know she's in New Zealand, or she's in Sweden. <laughs> That's the conventional assumption, isn't it? But even the word mother is, uh, con- is a condition that arises and ceases in the present, and you really look at it, isn't it? So my mother died about 20 years ago, But still, I can still think of mother, and when I think of when when that perception of mother comes into consciousness, yeah. I still see, visualize her as I as I last saw her. So I mean, it's just you know noticing this that it's uh, when she was alive twenty years ago. So is this just noticing that that this also. Bring like the word mother is strong, you know, is is not like Saint Valentine's Day, is it? It's just it brings up stronger feelings because of a lot of karma, a lot of association, pleasant, painful, not with mother. Or with uh, David Miller, when we think of we think of the perception David Miller now what is that so th- this, this inquiring into, just noticing, helps us to, to uh, see the difference between the conventional world, seeing that its very nature is ephemeral and changing. That, that when we attach to thinking, thoughts, ideas, and this tends to make things more than what they are. We're no longer using conventions as pointers, as tools for awakening. We're merely projecting ideas onto, into this moment, making things more than what they are. So when I, when I think of mother at this moment, I can start remembering, or, you know, various things of the past and, and bringing up various feelings, uh, so forth. Then this is making more of it than what it is, isn't it? I can, I can sit here and I can really, you know, bring up all kinds of pleasant, painful memories from the past. But this moment now, if I don't do that, then, then the perception itself is, uh, is certainly seen, but it's not clung to, not followed, not, we're not holding on to it, so it doesn't become complicated, but it is what it is. So, then this knowing then, this ability to know thought, to see it as a, to listen to yourself thinking, that which is is aware of thinking, aware of the, the perception of mother, David Miller, that which is aware of Valentine's Day as a thought, as a memory, and an that that's not a thought or a memory is it that 's awareness is like this, or say on the emotional level, you know the conditions for uh, say anger arise, somebody says something that uh, insults me. I feel feel rejected or humiliated by something somebody says. So then, you know, the the emotion emotions are, you know, like Valentine's Day doesn't bring up any emotion. Indifference might say, and then, but they. Somebody says something that insults me personally and and I know they're being malicious and vicious and not right and I get carried away with the anger. Or to see anger, to know that the anger, this, this feeling of anger, this energetic experience is like this. The awareness of anger is not angry. So like the puto is the knowing the way it is. It's the direct knowing, not knowing about. It's knowing it's like this. Anger, and and even the word anger gets in the way. You don't even have to call it anger, but it is what it is. It's like this. so by slowly discarding even the need to label things or define them with words you're you're seeing the you're you're re- realizing the way it is without complicating it in any way so your the awareness allows you know it's it's not it's not judgmental as soon as you judge it like even the word anger it's, it's a kind of, it's a, it puts it into a context of something negative. Or then the, then the logic comes, you know, anger is, is bad. It's frightening, this energy frightens me. Memories of being angry in the past, uh, you know, of being the object of somebody else's anger it brings up fear. It gets very complicated. Uh, Somebody once uh, accused me of being an angry person, an angry man. And I felt, I'm not angry. (laughs) I was angry because I didn't... So you can see, like, like the way we tend to psychoanalyze ourselves, it oftentimes is counterproductive because we we say oh, my problem is with anger or with fear. Or then this very way of thinking, if if one doesn't understand how to use convention, tends to create this illusion of a self. You know, define ourselves even more as some kind of that anger is me. It's my problem. Whatever you define yourself with limits you to that. You know, so identities, uh, you know, they're delusions, the de- identities we have. So, uh, just like saying, I, you know, I have this problem with anger and. And so, uh, I've got to work out my anger. I've got to process my anger. I'm processing my anger. I hear that a lot. Or processing my fear. This the the kind of jargon of the present age. Uh, because of processing, I'm somebody who's got to process to deal, to resolve these problems. See how complicated it gets. Because it's still thinking, and it's still the assumption that that the anger is mine, and that it's not good. I've got to do something about it. And there's all kinds, of, you know, sense of of me. I'm this anger. I, you know, I. Sh- I've got to work on this in order to free myself from it. That whole whole kind of assumption. You see, meditation is much more direct. It's aware of that. The self, how we create the self, and make assumptions. So in um, let's say meditation, it's not a denial. Anger is not me. Is some kind of you know thinking you're being terribly Buddhist by. well, I you know, anger, but it's not self. is is another delusion, <laughs> because it's still whether you're thinking, you know, anger is mine and it's my problem, or anger is not self. I don't create myself, and I don't believe in a self that gets angry, and then you go on and you're giving the the party line of it's all impermanent and non-self that's not it either it's not grasping buddhist ideas but in observing the way it is so like feeling anger the you know positive negative neutral uh, vedana sukha vedana tuka vedana dukkha matsukha vedana Body, these, these five khandhas. In other words, this was an expedient means the Buddha gave as a teaching to see, to notice, to observe, to simplify, and that the main point of it is not to to uh, to kind of prove to yourself that the five kundas are impermanent and not self. You know, it's, it's not a... Because that, that's still grasping the convention. <clears throat> but it is through awareness, through mindfulness, that we begin to to re- realize the nature of things. It's a, the reality of impermanence, not the idea of impermanence the reality of non-self, rather than the idea that there isn't any self. So, like, in my own practice, just noticing this emptiness, this state of awareness. There's no sense of a self in it. I'm just aware of it, this stillness, this resonating silence. And yet I'm thinking right now, I'm using thought to refer to this silence, not, not defining it, but just using thought to, to investigate. What is Valentine's Day now? And so this awareness is this way, is re- realizing it, recognizing. Awareness, Samachanya is this. diti. the self-view is is thoughts of I am Ajahn Sameto, my practice, my feelings, my life, my mother, what I think of St. Valentine's Day, my view about Valentine's Day. Should Buddhist monks and Buddhist nuns celebrate Valentine's Day? It's not Buddhist. <laughs> I me <mean>, get it... <laughs> So then we you know, how we can we can begin to see, you know, observe this the the conceit, uh the attachment we have even to the convention, the good conventions we're using. then what is it that notices, you know? This, this is a rhetorical question. Who is it, what is it, what is it that's aware of thinking? And this isn't a, a question to answer with words, but it does, it does pay attention. It makes me, when I question like this, and then it looks more closely, observes this awareness. It's like this, it's not thinking. Thinking is very ephemeral, it moves very quickly. Then it's made up by us, we think, you know, our languages, our concepts <coughs> are made by human beings. And so we have different languages. <coughs> But consciousness is uh, seems to be like awareness, consciousness are aligned. So just taking the English word consciousness as consciousness is this rather than trying to find a definition for consciousness looking at the, noticing the reality of the way it is. When when I use the word consciousness, the English word consciousness, or the Pali word vinyana, or the Pali word jitta, or the Thai word jit, what I mean by that is this. And uh, it uh, is an alertness, attentiveness, puto, awakened, attention, there's consciousness like this. No self. For the self to arise and I think I am Ajahn Sumato. So exploring this uh, to really put this into practice is a is a, you know a lifetime of, of reminding ourselves because we're so easily pulled back into the illusory worlds that we live in most of the time. The me and my world, my feelings, my life, my practice, my problems. What I think how what I think how this monastery should be like, what I want cittars to be, whether I agree with all the decisions made here or not, uh, with Ajahn-sajito or ajahn sameto then it goes into, you know, then we back into that world of, of views and opinions, preferences, We've got to protect the Thai forest tradition at all costs, purify, uh, you know, protect the Ajahn Chah tradition, get into causes, isn't it? Into wanting to, you know, uphold and defend and perpetuate. And these things can even be quite noble, but uh, it's still... The self arises, views and opinions with the thought process. <clears throat> so, in uh, the thing I'm emphasizing is getting to realize, recognize its natural state. So that you know, we do get carried away with the world. You know, has its influence and its power on our consciousness and we have uh, a lot of karma, vipaka karma to to experience, the result of having been born and having lived the life we've, we've lived, the results of it in the present. Fair enough and the the world then is like this, knowing the knower of the world, the loka we do, the is part of Puto, you know, knowing the world is the world. It is not a uh, judgment saying the world is good or bad, but it's like this. <clears throat> and then our escape, our release from the world is this awareness, this this bhuto, knowing the way it is. That's the liberation. So in that, one of my favorite quotes from the Poly Canon is that there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned. Therefore there is an escape from the born, the created, the conditioned. If there was not the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, there'd be no escape from the born, created, conditioned. But because there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, there is the escape from the born, the created, the conditioned. And so, a statement I've always these things have always inspired me. There is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned. Or the one I chant when, when I before I give a dasya now formal talk there. The gates to the deathless are open. The deathless, the gate to the deathless is open. Now, this is, these kind of, some people don't find these, you know, they find these things bewildering. Because they're not intellectual, you know, they're unborn, uncreated. What is that anyway? That sounds just so abstract, doesn't it? <laughs> what is it? Is it heaven or, you know, where is it? You know, where is the unborn, uncreated? Point to it right now. Can you, can you do that? And I hold it up and say, this is it. And you can examine it with, under a microscope if you want. You can prove the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unoriginated, deathless. What do you mean by that? You believe in immortality? <coughs> or nirvana? And then, that means extinction. That sounds like annihilation. You know, so the word Nibbāna used to be, when I first came across Theravada Buddhism, the books always said it means extinction. Now the word extinction in English, that's pretty, Buddhism is a pretty miserable kind of, (laughs) it's just trying to, it's like annihilating everything. You know, that's what, I, what I, when I, when I get suicidal thoughts, I want to become extinct. And that's not a wholesome state, you know, wanting to extinguish everything, kill everything off, annihilate everything. And that's not, you know, uh, you know, that's not inspiring even. But if you, you know, if you're bitter enough and negative enough, that's what you want to do. So then I notice some people uh, get very uh, ill at ease when I talk about Nibbāna and uh, unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unoriginated. Because as a thought, it, you don't quite know what it is. It's it's uh, this thing like condition, everything, you know, phenomena, uh, conditions, things. These were at ease with, because they're, you know, they, you can say this is a condition. You say that's a clock. But it's also, you know, put it in a generic category. But that's a, this is a condition. This is a condition. <laughs> this is a <the> condition. <laughs> whether, it's, whether it's a physical object or a mental <clears throat> sankhara in Pali. But unconditioned sounds abstract as an idea, doesn't it? What is it? And then you it, it get into try to metaphysical of theories maybe about the ultimate nature of things and, and theorize, think about uh, you know, form metaphysical theories about it? Or is it ultimate reality? Is that what the Buddha was pointing to by using such terms? Ultimate reality then also can it gets even, in it, even more problematic when you try to think about it. And you know what the Christians do with God—the problems they've endlessly created around that one. <clears throat> so then, to me, the the very essence of of the of this convention is summed up in this: uh, there is the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated, unconditioned. Now, to me, that's not annihilation. That isn't like saying there's nothing at all. But, but there is an escape then from the born, the created, the condition. <clears throat> now, when you look at it, the the, the suffering is to you know the the what we're conscious of most of the time we're involved with the condition the created, the born, the originated all the time, the thoughts, the emotions the bodies the things we experience through the senses we're just caught in continuous reactions to them you know, so it's like there's no escape from this this realm, you know, just like it goes on and on, maybe suicide is the only possible you know, hang yourself or something to get out of it because it it just goes on and on and on, one thing to the next, on the conditioned plane. <clears throat> you know, in monastic life, you know, hope that once, once the uh, dharma hall is finished, here, Chitras, once we've got this proper dharma hall, because we never had a proper meeting hall before this was built. But once the dharma hall's finished, which it is now. Then everything will be all right here. <laughs> and, uh, I remember thinking that years ago. My experience in Thailand—we were always building things. And so, once the once the dining hall is finished, then we can we won't have to build anything. We will just practice. Once the road to Tham is finished. Once the what not a chart, and then coming to England, the, the things go on, chit, <laughs> chitters, and then amarvati. And even when they are finished, you know, you've got all these buildings and got all the right, you know, good accommodation, but if you haven't really, and, and if you've just been waiting for the future to practice, you've missed the point. You don't know what you, you know, you, 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 You've misunderstood this—the this, purpose of this life. Because the conditioned realm goes on and on and on; it perpetuates itself. <clears throat> and monasteries change, and they—they they have their peaks and their depressions and so forth. It's uh, you know things are Buddhism has it's where it. Somewhere. It's fashionable and lovely and praised and then ignored and then persecuted and so forth. (laughs) It's just the way the world is, you know. It's up and down, high and low, changing. Nothing stays static. So the escape from that, from this incessant continuous change, can only be, you know, it's not about when the Dhamma hall's finished, is it? It's about now, seeing, knowing in the right way. The, the stability of this moment, the stability, the only stable, unshakable reality of now is, is recognized through awareness. It's this. And it's not a thing, I can't, you know, it's not a a condition that I can define. So that's what I, when I use the word unconditioned, that's what I mean. So I'm telling you, when I'm using these words, I mean, this is how I, this is what I'm, this is what I'm pointing to. I'm not trying to say I have, the, the way I use the words is, is, you know, accepted in all levels of Buddhism or that, you know, I'm quite willing to be corrected too in how I use words. But, but the, uh, you know, this is what I mean. I'm pointing to this reality. Then a the condition comes from that i have perspective i am this i am the unconditioned in other words which is not meant to be taken personally but this 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 is my true nature using the limitation of language to to affirm this natural state that I, I don't create out of ignorance. It's not through ignorance, as through awareness that this is recognized. And then the perspective on on me as a person and uh, as a physical experience and. And the memories, the habits, the vipaka kamma that arises, the conventional world that I live in, the Buddhism, the monastery and all the rest. It's in a perspective then. It's not, it's not the, what dominates consciousness anymore or which I get lost into endless complications even on the, on being attached to religious convention. Buddhism can be incredibly complicated if you're just attaching to the conventions of it. So this is when there's encouragement to trust this awareness. Or sometimes I'll even say trust yourself more. And I don't mean trust your views and opinions from the Sakyaditi level. I don't trust, even after 40 years of meditation, I don't trust anything Sakyaditi that comes up in my consciousness. I know it, but that's not something I'm I'm going to, uh, you know, I want to uh, grasp and and operate from self views or or opinions prejudices, biases, habits. So what is it that transcends any of this in the present is the awareness. The gate to the deathless is open. So it's like, this is the gate to the deathless, this this awareness. It's a gate. It's an opening, it's a Door, isn't it? It's just this this door that we have the here and now to the unconditioned. Out of this whole mass of conditioned phenomena that seems so powerful and unrelenting, <clears throat> when we you know when we just get caught in the complexity of Consciousness through the senses, through the, the five khandhas, and all that—just so complicated. Notice how your personality and your emotions are just go increasingly more complicated. Trying to trace out the source of anger and why, what happened in the past, previous lives, what kind of previous lives did I have? What is it in my path in my birth moment? Was I pulled out of the womb with a pair of iron tongs and and I was traumatized from the very beginning? And that's why I'm I suffer now. <laughs> I mean you know, we I mean, we have all these, these options to, to seek endless complications and trace everything to its origin. Or do we need to? Is that, and is that liberating once we even find out? Because it's still a sense of, I am the body, and this happened to me, and these memories are mine, and this was a trauma uh, that I experienced, and it shouldn't have been like that. Blame the doctors. It's my mother's fault because she didn't. She didn't know anything about natural childbirth. Her whole faith was in modern medicine back in 1934. And of course, they didn't know very much then. <laughs> I think it gets more and more complicated. But if you, if you, uh, you know, but if you awaken in the present, this putto. Awakened attention, then, then even the traumas, the injustices, the, uh, of, of, that one has experienced in one life is in, in a perspective in which one is no longer, you know, limited by that. You because you've, you realize, recognize, the true nature, the deathless, the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unoriginated. So this is the, you know, the the wonder of our humanity, of the human birth, isn't it? That the human being, we have this, we can do this. This is within our ability to recognize, realize ultimate reality, within the, and yet seemingly bound by all these conditions of self and the physical body and the sensual world. And that's wonderful, you know, that's the wonder of it, is that with, with this, seemingly, these incredible limitations and conditions, kind of totally overpowering, overwhelming us, our consciousness every moment. There is this simple option, once this awakened state, once you you awaken. So the Buddha is it's like an invitation. Wake up. You know, it's like the gate to the deathless is open. So then when I use the word deathless, this is what I mean. This is the deathless. I can't define it because it's it's known, it's realized, but not it's not a thing that I can define. Then the escape from suffering, non-suffering is like this. Then if With awareness, that sense of separation and lack that come from the personality, from the attachment to the condition, that dissolves. Non-dukkha. Non-suffering is like this. So it's discerning, isn't it? This is panya, discerning. Knowing dukkha is like this, non suffering at dukkha is like this. <coughs> so, just sharing these uh, thoughts with you, they are thoughts. You know, how do they affect you? (laughs) Uh, But it is, uh, you know, hopefully an encouragement uh, for you to, you know, to uh, develop this, to really use the convention skillfully, trusting, trusting yourself, not your... Sakyaditi self, but trusting this ability, this simp- the simplicity of awareness, and then the, then realizing, recognizing, like realization is recognizing reality. Reality is this. The deathless is real. It's reality. It's not some metaphysical abstract idea that I'm going to write volumes of complicated thoughts about. It's this. Deathless is a fact. It's real. The unconditioned is real. Unborn, uncreated. It's reality. And then the condition is the illusion, isn't it? It arises, ceases, changing. Wherefore, the unawakened individual, the the conditioned, is their reality. The real world is me, mine, my feelings, my life, my memories. And the unreal is uh, the deathless, the unborn, uncreated. What is that, you know? That does, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, face up, Some, to the real world, you know. It's, you know, tough out there. Stress, working hard and you've got to hold down two jobs, support four kids. Right. <laughs> that's the real world you're living in chitters you know you're just deluding yourself because the the, the real world and to the ignorant is is this you know the these limitations this suffering this this uh, stress pain death and loss and Whatnot, not, where, say, they escape from the, un- escape from the condition, the, the created, the born, the originated. <coughs> oh, so you're an escapist. Tomato's an escapist. Can't face the real... <laughs> But wanting to escape hell, is that, I think that's wise, isn't it? <laughs> if you can get escape from it, why not? You know, why stay in it? It's Just good sense to me. If there's a way out, get out. And if you're caught in the in the sewer and there's a way out of it, you you go and get out of it. At least I'm, I would.